this just in a podcast. <laughs> Hello, everyone. Thank you for joining the broadcast podcast today. Uh, my name is Danny Newt. Thank you so much again. Uh, for those of you who just clicked on this thinking, hey, I wonder what that is. Well, basically, this is a podcast for the future generation of broadcasters and journalists, both print and in, uh, you know, on the tube, who want to fill this next uh, wave of people reporting and whatnot. Uh, I myself major in this, so I mainly special in comedy, but I've worked in local news for the last two years in sports, uh, and I've made some great connections through it, and I want to help people who want to become journalists because I've met a lot of great people, uh, and journalism is, is a part of the comedy that I do, and also in general I work a lot in sports. Um, so I'm not an expert, and I'm not pretending to be. I bring on experts, and then I ask them questions from a novice's point of view because, frankly, that's what all of our point of views are coming from. So I want to give you the questions that you might be asking yourself. And then, of course, you can always tweet at me at DannyNew101 any questions that you have, and I can ask the next people. I'm very happy with this first episode, really a marquee first episode with Craig Stevens, a uh, very established anchor, really the staple of South Florida news, which is one of the craziest news markets, and we all know that in Miami and Fort Lauderdale. So we have Craig Stevens here from WSVN, which is the number one rated station uh, in South Florida. I didn't say best, just said number one rated. Uh, and also I have Dave Barry, a childhood hero of mine who I've interviewed before. He's a Pulitzer Prize winner, uh, Miami Herald's humor columnist for the last, well, 30 years, 22 years, uh, consistent column that he's been writing and doing some stuff this year, including co covering the Olympics, covering the conventions, which we talk about both. Also his new book, most importantly, called Best State Ever. Uh, Florida man defends his state, so that is in stores now. We're going to talk about that book too. So those will be coming up in this. Uh, and first, get to hear a cool theme song. Broadcast, podcast, broadcast, podcast, broadcast, podcast, broadcast, podcast, podcast, broadcast, broadcast, podcast, podcast, broadcast, broadcast, podcast. What are we gonna do? We're gonna wear makeup. Welcome, everybody. My first guest has been anchoring at Miami's Fox affiliate WSVN, which happens to be the number one rated in Miami. Well, he's been anchoring here since I was in preschool. It wasn't that long ago, of <laughs> yeah. course, but technically it's true. Thanks. He's a staple of South Florida news. Absolutely. I didn't say monument. Mm, just thank said you. staple. Okay. It also happens to have just the right touch of gray. Whew. Border on silver, Fox. Please welcome Mr. Craig Stevens. Hello, Mr. Craig Stevens. Thank you, Mr. New. Good to see you. Good to be with you. Just so everyone knows, we are recording this right now from WSVN. We are inside, so if you hear any humming or buzzing or noise or maybe all hell breaking loose, it's because we're in a real live news station. Yes. And you never know when that's going to happen. It, it can happen when you least expect it. It can happen when you don't want it to happen. It can happen when you're, it just, yeah, it just, you never know from minute to minute to minute. Is that still exciting for you to um, get that text? It can be. It can be. Um, if you're sleeping, generally no, but but no. I mean, I, I think um, that's why we're drawn to it because you never know at a moment's notice um, or from one minute to the next uh, what might come down the pike, and you have to drop everything and and react and assume the position to, to, to be able to cover the story. So you have to enjoy that. If you don't, this is the wrong business because, I mean, well, I was away this summer um, in Chicago at a wedding, and uh, I got a early morning call. It was a Saturday night going into Sunday morning and uh, the Orlando shooting had happened and they woke me up and just said get to the airport. You gotta come back. 
and I was sort of one eye open, and then I checked my device, and I saw I had gotten some news alerts from uh, the AP uh, that I had been sleeping. I, I missed them while I was asleep. And I thought, okay, I've got to get out of seeing good friends get married mode and figure out which airport, and luckily folks back here arranged that because I had to cancel my hotel reservation and get to the airport, and then worry about the logistics of getting here and coming to work and being on TV right away. Um, so, yeah, you do get a little bit of a, a, a rush out of that last-minute thing, I think, sometimes. Yeah. And w one thing I always wonder, uh, in, in your case, a seasoned veteran, uh, with stuff like the Orlando shooting, I mean, do you get numb to that stuff? When do you have time to feel things, to realize that people were hurt? Well, I mean, that's a good question in that, especially because we've had so many stories of that variety, and it, it, it seems in recent you know, months and years. Um, and, and I'll... I'll, I'll Go back to 9-11, uh, because I anchored our coverage that day, those several days after, because because we're an independent station. We are a Fox affiliate, but we don't lean on the network as much as a traditional affiliate, so we did all of our own coverage. We sent people there, um, and, and I anchored it from the studio here. And when you stop to absorb what it was, it was overwhelming, and it, it, it could get the best of you. But in that moment, my job is to try as best you can to um, take in the information, and uh, share it in such a way that my reaction isn't a distraction. Um, and so that's what I tr how I try to approach those kinds of stories where um, if I'm particularly moved or upset, well, I'm a human being, and you might be able to read that on my face, but I don't want it to be so obvious that becomes a distraction because my job is to convey the story. Now, when I'm done and I get out of here and I have time to exhale for a few minutes, it can be, wow, you know, it, it really can weigh on you. But um, I'm, I take it really seriously that, in that when you're in that moment, um, I think of the people who m choose to, to, to tune in what we're doing for our coverage. I want to do the best I can for them without uh, being uh, a distraction in any way. Yeah. I don't want to say too much on the sad stuff, but it is an important question. That the point of this podcast is for people who want to enter the industry. Yeah. They can learn from it's it's from it's, it's something that I think anybody who wants to be a journalist of any kind has to find a way to manage because uh, there are those difficult stories. And um, everybody has a different coping mechanism, but I think it's incumbent on anybody who wants to do it to not do it in such a way that you distract from the story. And everybody does it in their own way. I mean, I think when I would get off the air and I'd have some time alone, I would just kind of, you can get emotional. It can, get, it can really get to you. Um, I don't think it's appropriate uh, to have that happen on the air. I mean, maybe just a bit within reason. Uh, you're a human being, you're not a robot. Um, but in much the same way, I think a doctor has to approach things clinically and they can't get tied up in emotionally in what's happening sometimes because that doesn't do the patient any good or the families or people involved. It's almost that same approach. I mean, you, you have to find a way almost to compartmentalize. Um, and, and those stories I mentioned, uh, it was difficult because those were tough stories to do, but you have to find a way to, to do that so you don't take away from the viewer's experience. Yeah. Are there any techniques you do with that, like breathing or anything that think oh works for you? Um, you know what I do? Um, I, I think you find there are a lot of folks who you come, to, come up with in school, so people you're with now, people I, I came up with at American University in Washington, um, we're all doing this job in some fashion or another, whether, you know, Miami or L.A. or New York or... And so we talk to each other. 
I mean, that's one of the things, ordinarily when I get out of here uh, at 11.30, quarter to 12, and if we've had one of those days, odds are they're covering the same story I am, and we just talk it out on the drive home from work. Um, and that, for me, just having someone, and because they understand the job, they understand the work in a way that people who don't do it can't, you can't, if, if you're, you know, your partner, your spouse, your parents, your best friend, if they don't work in television, they probably don't understand what it is to sit there in, in that environment and have to keep it together while you're, you're covering these, these challenging stories versus someone who does the work they can. And just that, the ability to share that is, is for me, it's a, it's a way to decompress. So that's probably what my first coping mechanism. Who, who also worked today? Well, let's talk for 10, 15 minutes. Let's talk for an hour um, to, to sort of help you process it all. Um, that's what works for me anyway. Yeah, it's interesting how you know you, you talk about the stuff on air, and then you have just to talk about it in another way, another light, and that's how you believe. That's well, that. I think in that moment, uh, it's it's a private moment. It's not on the air, so you can you can have the emotional reaction. You can you can share whatever feelings you might have associated with covering that that story. Where again, it wouldn't be appropriate on the air because um, you're there to share information. But when you're off duty. Um, I find for me it's, a, it's an effective way to process whatever's happened by talking to somebody else who did the same thing and how, how they approached it and did this aspect of the story really get you or, or whatever and just talking it out makes, generally makes me feel a little better and, and helps get me ready to do it again the next day. That's uh, good. I'm, yeah. I'm glad you found that. Hope it's helpful. Try to t- turning in is never the right choice. Uh, I'm glad you mentioned that you went to American at DC because a lot of people who listen, who will listen to this, if anyone listens to this, I'm sure you've a huge uh, audience out there, yeah. Mr. New. I'm sure. So, uh, Grandma, and you're listening, <laughs> Grammy. Thank you so much for being here. Uh, one thing I want to ask—this might be a weird question—but I know when you were in college, and you 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 work, you had internships and stuff. Mm-hmm. And you're, I love that you have a mailroom story, which is great. But did you have fun in college? How did you decide to have fun? I had the best time in college. If I could go back and do it again, and I was smart enough my second semester senior year, and most of the hard work was done. I, had a, I didn't have many uh, credits left. Um, I, and my friends used to make fun of me because I would stop and say, you know, stop for a minute. These are the moments we're going to remember for the rest of our lives because we're never going to be together again. We're going to be scat. I, I loved, loved, loved college. And... Um, I, I, if I could go back and maybe not the schoolwork necessarily, but the the all of it collectively together, uh, yeah, I'd go back. How did I have fun? I was good at managing my time. I mean, I had a full course load. I worked forty hours a week yeah. um, at NBC, um, which was down the street from from where I uh, went to school and lived. Uh, and but I always found time to hang out with friends and. Uh, I was younger, I had a little more stamina, I guess, but um, I don't feel like I missed, I mean, there were a couple of spring breaks I think I had to miss out because I was working full-time at NBC and I had to work. So even though it was spring break, I wasn't able to get the time off, so I had to go to the newsroom, but mm-hmm. I love being there. Um, you don't stress about, like, thinking about, you don't feel you missed anything, no, right? No, it was all no, 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 believe me when I say I managed to enjoy college and all it had to offer. I believe it. Um, Yes. You probably don't remember the fun parts now. <laughs> well, <laughs> a few come to mind, but yeah, it was, it was a great experience, and it taught me, which I think is effective uh, in this line of work, time management, um, because, again, with a full course load, working 40 hours a week, I was actively involved at our version of UMTV, 
Um, I was the news director, I guess, um, and I anchored a, a show and helped develop other programs that we that they still do 27 years later, uh, 30 years later. Um, so I did a lot, but all of it was fun, and and most of my close friends in the industry today are people I came up with in our school of communication, who I knew from different things. So we were always together, whether it was in class or the UMTV, or if we did a road trip to Rehoboth on the weekends, or whatever. Um, yeah, I had a lot of fun. That's good. Uh, I know it was probably harder back then because it was different uh, mediums of, of recording, but when you were working at NBC, did you ever try to bring your tapes in to get people to critique I them? I did, I did, yeah. And, and, and I laughed because uh, they were exceedingly kind because the tapes weren't that good. You've gone back um, and watched them. As much as I can stomach, and most of them are gone. And there are a few, few clips here and there that I, I've kept. Um, I did, and, and I remember it was, I started working there full time my junior year. And as I was getting to graduation, it had almost been two years, and the understanding was I wanted to be a reporter. So I'd have to leave and move to Podunk and start out. And they, people I worked for knew that, and they were pushing me to get your reel done, start sending it, you need to go do this. Uh, so as I was getting closer to that, I would bring it in and, and ask, what do you think? What do you? And I was, was sort of, you know, my chest puffed out. I thought I was pretty good. And I wasn't terrible, but I probably wasn't as good as I thought I was. And I remember there was an occasion where um, she wanted to leave. Her husband was coming in to get her uh, for dinner. They had dinner plans. And she had promised she'd watch. And I hounded her. I was like, here it is, here it is. Can we go downstairs to editing? I want to show you the thing. And she really didn't. I think in that moment want to, and she came, and I think as a result, she was probably the most um, critical of, of the work, and pointed out what was good, but this needs improvement, this needs improvement, why would you include this, change this, take this out, um, and then sent me on my way, and then Katie Couric, thank you very much for that um, oh. moment, sorry to delay your dinner plans that evening, <laughs> but, but she and others were really terrific about that. Um, yeah, I mean, my, my argument, same thing I tell people now, if you get an internship or you're in that environment, take advantage of it. You're around these people. You're around people who work in the craft you hope to, to, to do. So when it's a, don't approach them 10 minutes before a deadline and ask them something like that. They're, they'll kill you. But when there's downtime or if people are just kind of hanging out, you do have downtimes in newsrooms, that's the time to say, hey, here's a piece of writing I did. What do you think of this? Or can you watch this package I put together? That's, you're crazy if you don't do that and take advantage of that opportunity. So any internship, you should, yeah. Yeah, does that annoy them? People might be worried about, no. like. I, by and large, no, I think two things. People in TV, as is, is you will rapidly find out, like talking about themselves. True. Um, and they like the idea of, of mentoring and, and coaching. Um, I think the biggest thing is just to do it at the right time. If somebody's crashing a story that airs in an hour, that's not the right time to say, hey, you want to look at my reel or no. Um, but when the time is right, I think most people that I know, and, and, and you know, myself included, uh, enjoy looking at it and enjoy offering ideas and, and, and that kind of thing. Mm -hmm. Yeah, so when did you start your senior year sending out the reel? People wonder about the timing. Yeah, I was, um, I was pretty, um, nuts about wanting to, I had everything sort of mapped out in my head. Um, 12 months out, six months out, one month out, I'm gonna do this, I'm gonna do this. And I was pretty good about sticking to it. So in my case, I think I started sending it in April. And I graduated in May. And I think my first, uh, Lake Charles, Louisiana, 
uh, Cedar Rapids, Iowa, a couple others, and then the place where I ultimately got the job, I was hired um, late June, and I started in July. So I graduated May, and I started, so it was a pretty good, mm-hmm. I mean, actually, it was so quick, I was kind of looking forward to having the summer of just working at NBC, but not having school anymore. I can enjoy Washington, I've got free, all this free time, I'm making a good living at this point there. It's amazing how that um, feels like free time, working a full right, 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 40 right. hours a week, free time. Uh, and then the job came up and I couldn't, I was, I was psyched, but I thought, oh wait, I, 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 there goes my summer, my big summer plans in DC, and it, that was fine, but um, I tell people, don't start the reel too early because whatever, let's say it's your senior year, whatever you're doing in November or October, you're still learning and growing by leaps and bounds and the material probably won't hold up. So whatever you might have from spring semester, that's what you wanna put on a reel. Um, and certainly nothing before that. I mean, I've had people who are conscientious and hats off to you, but if you're doing something for your sophomore year on UMTV, one, in two years you're gonna look different, you're gonna sound different, you're gonna be more comfortable and more poised, everything's gonna change. It's not gonna be a fair representation of your work, so don't use material that old on a reel, um, yeah. is my general advice. And I know uh, I had a class here, so you told me this, but I wanna reiterate it. Uh, the reel should be mostly packages and reporting stand-up, well, no anchoring, right? Well, it depends. Uh, I think one size does not fit all, and you have to be mindful of the job for which you're applying. So if it's a job where it's a general assignment reporter, that means you're out covering a variety of stories every day. Government, politics, the courts, medical breakthrough, uh, the county fair comes to town. They want to see a variety of reporting, uh, whether it's a, a feature story, whether it's uh, a government story, you're covering student government, you're covering student uh, athletics. Um, they don't want to see you hosting a, a chat show if that's not the job that they have open for you. Um, but if, if there's a position that you're vying for, and first jobs generally don't involve anchoring, but if it's a really small market, it might, then you obviously would wanna have some of that on the reel. I just think people, the big mistake sometimes they make is that they just um, have a reel that's done and they figure, okay, phew, I made a reel and I'll send it to everybody. But not every job is the same and you have to be um, aware of what you're applying for to make sure you send what a news director needs to see. So when I applied for my first job, it was a general assignment reporting job. So I, I literally, I had a, a homecoming package I did. Uh, we had a student government president who was um, removed from office and kicked out of the university because he was embezzling from the student activities fund. Uh, so I did that package. <gasps> uh, there was a mayoral debate uh, for the candidates for DC mayor that they hosted on campus. I had that package. And we had a rash of fire alarms in the dorms. It was getting ridiculous. So, and I had good pictures of lights and sirens and students coming out late at night. So that was my spot news. And those four packages, I think, that was my first reel. Um, if you do include the anchoring, I think, especially as a young person starting out, it would come at the end of the tape. Because again, they wanna see your ability to write and your ability to produce a package. So that would be on the front end. And then you can put the anchoring on the back half at the end because like I say, these small markets, they might press you into service on occasion. So it's good they see it, but I would not start something, anchor, 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 and then get to the reporting at the end. Because one, that sends the message 
to the station that, well, where does your interest lie based on that reel anchoring? And the one thing I think a lot of places are, they watch out for, it's, oh, here's Danny New. Okay, uh, this one wants to be an anchor. Toss it aside. Because um, if they're hiring you to be a reporter, they want you to be the best reporter you can be. And anchoring will come maybe or maybe not, but they want to make sure you're coming in there for the right reasons, for the right job. And your reel can give a sense of where your head's at in, in terms of that. Mm-hmm. I want to talk about your first job. I believe... In Fort Myers, mm-hmm. listen. Um, can you tell a story, maybe, of a time that like accentuates like what it's like to have your first job, like the craziness? Well, I just remember um, I, I I was too old to rent a car, so NBC they chipped in a bunch of people so I could rent a, like, a minivan to bring all my stuff down from DC. Wow. And I got my best friend came down with me. And Fort Myers was a mu- this is well twenty six years ago, twenty seven years ago. Um, it's a much smaller community then than it is now. I mean, Naples, Fort Myers, uh, Port Charlotte. Uh, market size was, I think it was market 103, 104 then. Now it's market 56, 58, 60. It's, it's grown that much. But I'm coming from Washington, D.C. I had worked at NBC News, so at the time I'd see the Katie Kirks or the Bryant Gumbles or the Tom Brokaws. I just, that was my world. Um, and then I get to, it's a very nice facility. It's a beautiful facility, but it's small. And the town is small. And my best friend kind of laughed and said, you know, help me get my stuff and it's like see ya went back to Washington and um, I started and after about a week I tried to quit I'm like I can't take it so slow it's slow the weather is awful I remember I went in and I was doing a story about um, this this environment well this area that the there was a dispute between the county and state officials they wanted to take uh, annex some land to build a, a wider road because growth was a big thing over there and obviously it still is so it was the Six Mile Cypress. So they said, yeah, you're going to go to the commission meeting, and they're going to talk about whether they should pursue uh, putting in a six-lane roadway there. And I thought, okay, well, I'm going to need file tape. I'm going to need this, and do we have this and this? And the guy looks at me, and he's like, really? You need file tape? Okay, well, so yeah, for the tape librarian, because at NBC, if a correspondent is working on a story, you call stations all over the country, and they send you the material that you might need, or there's a tape library with a librarian, and they pull whatever file footage you might need, and well, that's NBC News Washington. So he said, well, Craig, come here, let me show you something. Those are all the tapes, and, and, he, and he grabs me by the shoulder, and says, and here's the librarian, me. Start looking. Oh, so man. I said, okay, I don't know the system, I don't know, I mean, I've only been here a week. Um, that's humbling. Well, it just, it, I learned, you do everything yeah. in the small markets. You, you shoot it, you write it, you edit it, um, on the weekends, and I worked the weekend shift. Uh, I, I helped write other stories, or I, not just my package, but other Vosats to help fill the newscast. If the producer was in the weeds, uh, I would help tune in live shots, uh, whatever she needed, because it was just her and the anchor. Um, Shepard Smith, now at Fox News. Um, there was a weekend, the, um, the um, producer had to go home sick, and I'd never boothed a, a newscast in my, my, my life. So Shepard just said, well, get out there. You'll be fine. Just keep the stopwatch, because this is pre-computer. So you're back-timing everything with a stopwatch. And you have to get out at 6.30, because NBC Nightly News starts. And I'm killing stories. We're, we're heavy, we're heavy, we're heavy. Kill, kill, kill. Then I get to sports, and I'm like, Jesus. We're like three minutes light. So I go to the sports, and I'm like, do you have any other stories? Can you fill? I need it. I'm like three minutes behind. And he looks at me. He's like, dude, I'm on it like 30 seconds. No. 
So we had the longest credit roll. I mean, every person, every name in the building, produced by, direct oh, by, man. floors swept by. It looked like a Star I mean, Wars crawl. Exactly, <laughs> exactly. I was like, oh my God, because I, I, I did the timing incorrectly. So lots of humbling experiences like that that are better uh, had in a small market where you don't ruin your reputation and get fired. They're a little more forgiving. Um, it was a big adjustment, but I will say after a couple years there, uh, I, I, I loved it, and I have a great affection for that time of my life, probably as, almost as much as college. Yeah, people look back at the first job, maybe in at the time, they're like, oh, this is so hard, the oh. hours, we look back, like, this is where I grew. It's, I grew, it, it's, and, and my closest friends in the business are people either from college or from that, because we're all young, we're all just out of school in most cases, some, it was their second job, and everybody was trying to get out. Yeah. So we would all root for each other, and I mean, everybody had roommates, because you know, you're not making much of a living. So my roommate was a reporter at a rival station, and then he got a job in Charlotte. Then my next roommate was a photographer at my station. And then when I moved out, uh, different, I mean, it just everybody just kept moving around and, and moving new people in. Um, but it was a really supportive environment. I mean, the industry's known for being kind of cutthroat, and it can be. But at that level, for the most part, it's all for one and one for all. And hey, Danny, Danny got a... We heard he's interviewing in Tampa. Way to go! And then you get the job, and we throw a big party, and we're all a little jealous. But you know, you know, your turn will come. And yeah. uh, it was a great experience. And and that's why when people always talk about wanting to skip the small market thing, I'm like, no, that's it's one of the best times you'll ever have in the business. You need those reps. Yeah. How many years at your first job can you go before you're like, crap? I need to. The way I. I, I coach or counsel people here, and this is based on my experience, but it seems to work, um, and they'll all make you sign two, three-year contracts for these first jobs because it's in their interest to not, they train you, they get you up to speed, and then you leave, and then they have to find somebody else, so they lock you down, and that sometimes freaks people out, and I say, don't worry about it. The first six months, you're struggling to not get fired. Everything, no matter how good a program you come from, and UM is one of the best, um, there are just situations that you won't be prepared to handle because you've never faced them as a reporter um, in the field, in the work of gathering news. So the first six months, you're just trying to stay afloat. The second six months, you're kind of getting the hang of it. By the year and a half mark, you got this. I own this town. I'm, I'm good. I've got sources. I, I can come in without a story and I can work the phones and come up with something and, and get it on TV. And, and by the two-year mark, it's get me out of here. In other words, I've probably grown as much as I'm going to grow in this environment. I need to do what I'm doing here in a slightly bigger environment to continue to grow. So I think a minimum of two years, in my personal opinion, that's certainly what happened with me. Um, and I've seen it with young people. I've watched over the years as they've broken into TV and they've moved on. It's the two years, it, it goes by quickly and the, the transformation, it's so, uh, to me, crystal clear from that treading water, barely making it, to that two year mark where you know what you're doing. You're really, you're, you're hot stuff here. Um, there are always exceptions. I mean, some people might need a little longer, the two and a half, three years, some might need less time. Uh, David Gregory, a, a, a good friend who went, we went to American together, the former host of Meet the Press, was one of those guys. I mean, he, um, he was a year here and a year there, and he was, boom, ready for, for bigger and better. Uh, that's an extreme uh, rarity, I think. Um, you shouldn't prepare for that. Right. No. And I think you should embrace the, the two years, the two and a half years, because you really, 
the work you do when you walk out the door, ideally, compared to the work you do when you first walked in, will be night and day. I, I yeah. often joke when I look at some of my early, early work, I wish I could send a blanket apology, uh, I guess via the web or whatever, to the audience over there. I'm sorry, I was doing the best I knew how. I was 22 years old and everything was new to me and I, some, of it was, some of it was pretty decent, some of it was so-so, and I've some of it was just haircut. bad. Well, that's, and we're not even talking about the appearance. That's why we're audio. Yeah, right? Yes, we're, we're, not even, <laughs> we're not even talking about the appearance, but the, but the actual journalism of it, some of it was, you know, I was a young person learning. And that's what those small markets are for, um, to learn, to grow, to get better, and then move on. And um, at the end of that first uh, job. When are you sending out reels to look for your next job? Are you doing that while you're there? Are you trying to network mm -hmm. at different events? Well, a lot of it depends on the contract that you have. I mean, uh, but events, whether it's they're, they're the, you know, the, the, the black journalists, Hispanic journalists, the gay journalists, the Asian journalists association, each of them, they meet annually in different cities. And that's an uh, event. And then there's the big one called Unity, where it's all of those groups in one venue. And that's where you'll get the large station groups, managers, recruiters, who go and sit and watch young people who come in, their tapes for hours on end. Um, it's a chance for you to meet somebody who you obviously wouldn't get a chance to meet otherwise. Uh, and it's a chance for them to scout new talent. So if you can afford it, it's not, a, it's not inexpensive, but I always tell people, if geography plays in your favor, I think one year uh, Unity was in Orlando. So if I had anybody, the U or any place else, I'd say, we'll make the trip to Orlando and pay the student fee, bring copies of your resume and your reel and just work the room, walk around. CBS station group, they meet here and you wait in line for hours as well. Maybe they have seven or eight of their news directors from New York and Philly and LA and whatever, who, and they give you 10 minute increments. Here, you sit with, um, you sit with Scott Diener from KCBS in LA. Scott, this is Danny New, boom, pop your reel and he'll give you a critique. Now you might not get out a job out of it, but you're getting a critique from a news director in the number two market in the country. So those conventions are are always, and usually it's summertime, so it works with the economic calendar, um, are helpful. Um, in terms of when to look, that depends on your contract, because contracts are pretty ironclad. So um, if you're looking, if you've got a two-year contract and you've been there for eight months, why are you looking? You can't get out, and you could get in trouble. Uh, but when you're, say, six months out from a contract expiring, that's a good time, because it can take that much time to get something. Um, and always be upfront. Be upfront with your management, where you are currently. Um, no one wants to feel like they got fooled or deceived. And be upfront with, if you're at station whatever in um, in Tallahassee, and a station in Orlando wants to talk to you, okay, fine. But if they ask you, are you under contract? Yes, I am. I'm under contract for another four months. Uh, as opposed to sometimes people, they feel like they just say what they think the news director wants to hear. No, I'm not under contract, or I can get out, no problem. They told me I can leave early if I want to. And then if that station gets their hopes up and then you can't get out, now that whole thing has gone south. So, um, but yeah, I think six months before your, your, your deal is set to expire is a, is a good time to start thinking about it. Mm -hmm. Okay, now I have thousands more questions, but as it turns out, millennials, my generation, doesn't like too long of interviews, so I want to make sure it's educational. For the last thing we're going to do, we're, have, we're going to have what I like to call the breaking news round. Oh, I'm boy. going to ask you a little speed lighting round, a little speed dating for you and me. Okay. I'm going to ask you some questions, just very quick, just to get some really quick answers. It's fun stuff to do. First question, uh, are stripes actually bad to wear on camera? Depends on the size. 
Um, it, it will make the camera more um, What's that mean for? Where it, the, the camera just sort of, okay. the, the shirt flickers. itself flickers, yeah. 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 Um, it depends on the stripe. The, the, the larger the stripe, generally, the better. But then you have to deal with management because sometimes management doesn't, and that just depends on where you work, um, they don't care for that look. Um, it might be a little too GQ for the guys. I mean, the mm. stripes. I mean, I used to love all these patterns and this and that. And, and they never gave me a hard time, but um, I think they prefer it when I'm just sort of white shirt, blue shirt, basic. But yeah, it can. And this, like, I used to have a, a great herringbone jacket, and you put it on, and the camera just flips out. I'm gonna pretend like I know what herringbone is. To yes. Okay. Things. Look it up. Um, it's it's a nice. It's a good looking. It's a, it's a good looking coat that I can't wear on TV anymore. Mm. Okay. So then people won't wear it. Don't wear a herringbone if you find yourself in a thrift shop. Don't wear it, guys. All right. Um, what are the two biggest fluff words you can take out of scripts? Oh boy, um, shocking, and my station's known for that word, God knows. And I'm not a big fan of adjectives. My feeling is, if it's shocking, you'll decide that on your own when you watch. I don't need to tell you. So shocking, uh, and another one, just uh, sort of a waste of a word, or a, gosh, um, it would have to, I'm trying to think of what, because I spend my day removing things like that. Um, shocking's the big one. Okay, to, yeah, that's fine. That's, Sounds and, like and, it's big And adjectives too. in general, I'm just a big Fluff. believer that don't assign an adjective. The viewer can, you know, unbelievable. Well, maybe I would believe it. Maybe you won't believe it. We're in Florida, it, anything's I, believable. Right, so I'm, I, that's, I try to take all that stuff out. Okay. Um, what kind of knot do you tie your tie in? Oh gosh, the one I learned how to make in college. I'm not even sure which one it is, but I learned, I, I got to college not knowing how to tie a tie. Same, all right. And my college roommate was a close horse, still is, and he taught me. So it's it's not, the, the Windsor I think is, is too thick, it's too old school. And this from a guy who's, you know, in his late 40s, but that to me is like my grandfather's knot. It's just a really big, big, thick knot. I don't care for that one. But. Okay. Um, how do you afford so many suits early on? Do you have to just go in with one every day? Do they go, ever get you one? Um, some stations will furnish a, a meager clothing allowance where you uh, are reimbursed. So you can buy a suit and they pay you back. So basically, you know, you're getting it for free, kind of. Um, some don't. For guys, it's easy. I always tell, and this actually, I was working with one of our writers here who's working on his resume reel now. For guys, a simple charcoal, in a simple navy. Don't get crazy with patterns and, and, and ridiculous colors because charcoal and navy, you can wear the suit twice a week. It's just the shirts and ties. You mix it up. That is exactly what my dad said. He's listening right now and he's thinking, wow, I could have told that. Why'd I pay for education? Thank you. That means it's true, guys. <laughs> well, your, your, your dad is a smart man because I had someone bring in the, the stuff he bought and I said, take it all back. That powder blue suit, one, it's disgusting. It's going to look awful on television. You look like a car salesman, but <laughs> it's not versatile. A navy or a gray, you can do all sorts of things with ties and shirts, okay. and it's a lot cheaper that way. That's, that's good to know. That's what I own, so that's good. Good. Uh, is Miami the weirdest news market? It's one of the best in that it, it's, it's wildly unpredictable, Florida in general. Um, but it's, it's, it's interesting, it's bizarre, it's international, Cuba, Haiti, that's considered local news for us. Central South America, that's all local news for us because of our, our population. Um, there are not many places like it. Uh, I, I did work briefly in Boston, and it's my hometown, and I love Boston, but I found I missed just some of the bizarre uh, 
things that, and, 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 and whether it's crime or corruption and, and politics or um, some of the human interest stuff, you see, every, if you like to tell stories, this is one of the best places because they're just anything you can possibly imagine, and then some. Just when you think you've yep. hit the limit. All right, yep. just a couple more questions. Sure. Uh, hair loss, if men start to experience it, should they try Rogaine? Is there anything you can do? Should I mean, I, I, I've never thought much about it. I, look, you I mean, had to. It, well, it's a visual medium, and a lot of that will come from your bosses in, in, in an appropriate way because there's certain things they can't you know, say uh, at risk of getting you know, sued. But, um, and a lot of it is just you. I mean, when I was younger and I got here and I had really long hair and they wanted it long, okay, whatever you want, you're the boss. Um, it, you know, if, if, if a guy is losing his hair and he wants to use Rogaine, go for it. I mean, that's, uh, a, a lot of your appearance will be dictated by what the station wants in terms of how you wear your hair, whether it's long or short or parted on the side or parted in the middle. I mean, a lot of that will come from them. Um, anything you can do, obviously, to improve, or, or um, it is a visual medium, so there's that. Um, I think that just has to be an individual decision, unless they gently kind of suggest, hey, ever thought about doing something? Hint, 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 which can happen. But otherwise, I think it's a personal. I, I, can I tell you, in, in 25 years on TV, I've never had a, an appearance conversation other than um, I think a, a suit I wore once they didn't care for, um, and uh, I got a haircut once that I didn't get permission because you're supposed to clear any changes in your look with management. That's industry standard generally. And luckily they liked it because they left me alone. But those are I think two conversations I've had. And women it's a little different because obviously hair can be longer and shorter and the clothes can be more creative and more yeah. what, what not. Uh, but for guys? Mm -hmm. Well, your area your expertise is men so we'll, we'll leave it at that if I get to interview a female correspondent one day. That'd probably be the whole podcast. <laughs> uh, just two more questions. Uh, how many stations in before you didn't have to do your own makeup? Oh gosh, that, that depends. I mean, uh, we have an artist here uh, who does it luckily because I can't do it to save my life. But um, uh, I think in, in, in Boston we didn't. They still don't use one, so they have to do it themselves. They bring someone in for special occasions, like prom promotional shoots, things like that. Um, Fort Myers, same thing. They, they brought an artist in for the anchors, and I wasn't an anchor for special occasions. Um, you know, in the new economic reality, uh, that was one of the things that kind of went by the wayside in some places when they were looking to trim the fat mm -hmm. after the big recession. Uh, we actually trimmed ours to, we, we cut his days. Now he's back full time, um, and we're grateful for that. But, um, yeah, I mean, you just slap on some powder and sit down. I mean, for guys, it's it's... Obvi obviously shave every day for course, the guys because facial hair um, is generally not, um, it's generally frowned upon. Maybe even more than once a day if you have to. Yeah, yeah. I had a, a former former colleague here and he was a twice a day shave guy. Mm -hmm. and, and if he didn't, he'd get he'd get the call from managers about cleaning cool, up. Cool dark. Yeah. yeah. All right. Yeah. Last question. It might be hard to recall, but okay, I want to see if it's possible. Okay. What is the single weirdest thing you've had to read on air in your career? Something you were like, I'm reading this right now and people oh are listening boy. to me? Um, I mean, you're, you've been in Florida for a good chunk of change. Yeah, 
geez, that's a tough one because, I, you know, well, weird in that I, I didn't want to read it, or weird in that I can't believe this is a story newsworthy, or can't believe it's a story newsworthy, or just that you couldn't that that would oh happen. Oh boy, um, yeah, you know, that's that's really tough because nothing nothing jumps out. I will say today I had to uh, in one of the off newscasts that I don't anchor. But I had to to do the New York Post Anthony Weiner story today, and in my writing of it, because I was pulling from the different primary sources and the Post's reporting and uh, his his estranged wife's statement and so on, and I wrote it kind of hurriedly, and doesn't matter what, but I, I had there's a turn of phrase that I didn't there there could have been a double entendre there it was just sort of and, and people pointed it out to me and said did you mean to say that as well I was. I, just, I wrote the story, and then in retrospect, I'm like, okay, yeah, I probably could have phrased that differently, so it didn't sound. I think I, I think the line was, um, I was referring to his problem when he ran for mayor of New York, and he got caught up in a similar mess. Uh, you, you're, if you're familiar, um, his, his wife is separate, and I think the line was the, the scantily clad wiener. Sent a tet, 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 and oh. it, you know, whatever, because the photo he was barely dressed, scantily clad. So yeah, that was, and I didn't realize until after the fact. Like, okay, that was kind of didn't really work there, but oops. Um, he's asking for it with that name. I mean, he's no matter what you write, even if you said it was a private matter. I mean, he's just he's gonna get it. it yeah, it just it's it's the story that just it, it writes itself. It's, I'm sure there are others that are that are better, but um, it's okay. I like yeah. it that despite being in Florida for. Almost 20 years. Anthony Weiner still <laughs> takes over everything, which I love as someone from Jersey and tri-state area. Yeah. That's just good to hear. All right. Well, that's all the time I'm going to take from you because you anchor four shows. Well, we're two down, two to go. We're good. Exactly. So everyone uh, listening, you can catch Mr. Craig Stevens on WSBN if you are lucky enough to be in the Miami Fort Lauderdale area. Mr. Stevens, we stream live too on WSBN.com. Mom watches back home every day. No excuses now. That's right. <laughs> that's right. Here in Massachusetts. All that's right, Mr. Right. Stevens. Have a wonderful day. Thank you so much for joining me. Thank you, Dan. All right. So that was Mr. Craig Stevens. Mr. Stevens, thank you so much for joining the podcast. Uh, now we have such an extra treat, some bonus footage, if you will, from Mr. Dave Barry, the Pulitzer Prize winning, nationally recognized humor columnist talking about his new book, Best Date Ever. We had a little bit of technical difficulties on this. Mr. Barry is uh, out on the tour, and I had to get him over the phone, which is very nice of him to come on. Uh but, you know, I didn't want it to sound like both of us were talking on the phone. and uh, I don't really have a radio station anywhere uh, in my room. So uh, I recorded my audio a little separately on a better mic, and then I mix them together, and I think it sounds fine. There are a couple times where my voice doubles, and I apologize. And uh, I'll say you're welcome because you get to hear more of my voice just in a weird uh, Britney Spears-esque double track. Uh, pro bono, though, of course, free. So uh, this is Mr. Dave Barry, and uh, enjoy. My guest now is a Pulitzer Prize winner and has been contributing to the Miami Herald for over 30 years, a little bit over my age. But now he is the author of a new genius book called Best Date Ever, A Florida Man Defends His Homeland. Please welcome Mr. Dave Barry. Dave, how you doing? Wait, where's the, wasn't there supposed to be like loud audience applause there? Yeah, you know, I thought you and I would generate enough energy between oh, okay. the two of us, two millennials. Yeah, exactly. Wait a minute. Wait, who, so you calling a, who are you calling them? Well, actually, it depends on the millennium. But I was, I mean, I was involved in the millennium. It was just, you know, the previous one. So, anyway. You're a ba baby boomer. That's what, yeah. Yeah. Bring that, the boom. I mean, it's just a, 
it's become a bad thing, baby boomer. It's almost like Nazi. You know, it's just nobody nobody speaks <laughs> well of us anymore. But anyway, go ahead. No, no. So, all right. We won't talk about Nazis. I'm sorry. We're going to talk a little more about Florida, the other thing people tend to hate on. Uh, now, yeah, I know you just got back. Yeah, I know. You just got back from the Olympics covering that in Rio. So you write this whole book defending Florida, and then you go over to Brazil. Did it seem much easier to defend Florida after going over to Brazil? <laughs> Actually, Brazil is very similar. I mean, at least Rio is very similar to Miami um, in that they're both kind of foreign in locations. <laughs> you know, like, yeah, a lot of things exactly. that work and a lot of things that don't work and nobody cares that much. Also, there's a, a great deal of alcohol being consumed in both cities, I would say. So I didn't feel that. I didn't feel and, – and everybody's speaking a foreign language, which is true in both Miami and Rio. Uh, so it really was – it was an easy transition for me to make. Yeah, you know, as us kids call it, Miami's like the ultimate pregame for Rio. Yeah, yeah. It's a pre, I pre, I've been pre-gaming for 30 years for Rio. By <laughs> yeah, exactly. So, but you, you know, you had a pretty crazy year because you were, you covered both conventions. I went not only that, I went to Iowa for the caucuses, New Hampshire for the primaries, and then yeah, both conventions, and then and then the Olympics. So, uh, right. If I'm not dead now, I don't think I'm ever. Dead. <laughs> yeah, you know, you're not a baby boomer anymore. Now you're the generation before that. Whatever that was. Yeah. Whatever, exactly. Yeah, so, I mean, I got to ask you, though, like, you know, you want, you're covering the craziest election of all time, two of the, the most controversial figures of any election, and then you go to the one of the most unprepared Olympics of all time. I mean, which one, so all of us know, like, was the most disorganized and just most hectic? Okay, there's no, I mean, I got, now I have to defend Rio here. Because um, if you, I mean, re, every Olympics, and I've been to seven or eight of them, every Olympics, the same thing happens before the Olympics. Which is mm-hmm. the press, particularly the British press and the American press, declare that it's going to be a disaster. You know, buildings will fall down, um, and disease will be rampant, and you know, and stuff like that. And it never happens. I mean, Brazil did a fine job with the Olympics, the worst Olympics I've ever been to by far. And almost every uh, veteran Olympic reporter will confirm this was Atlanta, Georgia, which is, by the way, in the United States. Wow. So, um, and it's also the only one I know of where a bomb went off. So, you know, the, the, yeah, they had their problems, but the Zika is worse here than what's down there. <laughs> where we they, are, they, Miami. Their pool turned green, but, you know, so the pool turned green. My pool turned People green. People see a pool. Yeah, exactly. People do. Yeah. I, and then, I love, yeah. I, I, love so, like, I really think that, you know, that to compare the real Olympics with the complete train wreck that is the United States presidential <laughs> is unfair to the uh... <laughs> I love it you know I bring up our, our country's politics and you're like wait 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 we have to defend this other country for a second <laughs> America whatever but let's talk about Brazil but that's good so I mean that must have been crazy which one though had like the the most passionate crazy fans I would imagine both conventions had some pretty passionate people but so would the Olympics I think you know it's funny. The um, oh, you you want me to compare the the convention fans with the Olympic fans? Sure. Okay. Well, I haven't thought of that. Um, the the of the conventions, the um, you know, this is a weird year because like half the people are terrified of of their of their own candidates, but the wow. Trump people are pretty excited. They were pretty excited, but you know, we time time we got to Cleveland. Um, and then in the streets of Cleveland, there was this mayhem. Uh, there's a lot of um, a lot of very excited people running. As it should pro be. Pro and con, uh, mostly in the streets, con for Trump. 
the uh, the Democratic convention was kind of strange. There were more people in streets by far, than much bigger demonstrations, which is weird, you know, because you, you think of them, the demonstrations being mostly lefty, um, and yeah. you think they would be more anti. But they were they were. They were really like it was a lot of Bernie people, and they seem more pissed off at Hillary than they do at Donald Trump. I mean, that's you know, I don't, I don't know if that translates to anything in in November, but just the way it felt when I was walking around with those people, they were really angry at Hillary Clinton. Not so much Donald Trump. I think they kind of view him as uh, I don't know a just, joke, maybe un, un, yeah, yeah, a joke or just disconnected from themselves. But yeah. with them, it, it was personal. With you know. Because Hillary took the you know the nomination away from their guy Bernie, and, they, and they're not over it yet. And like the highlight of that was when uh, the opening day, I was standing in the convention hall when the, the, this reverend got up and she read up, she gave a prayer. <laughs> she mentioned um, Hillary Clinton in her prayer, and then suddenly this chance of Bernie, Bernie, and then they were in the middle Hillary. of the prayer. And so like this is during the prayer, you know. <laughs> <laughs> like they, they had a riot during the prayer. So there's still a lot of anger in the Democratic Party. In the Republican Party, it's just more like resignation. Either you really love Donald Trump and they're still on board, or you just think, okay, we lose this one for sure. And, you know, and let's talk about 2020. Now, yeah, having said that, I will say that the uh, the fans of Brazil, when it comes to soccer, are are more enthusiastic than any of the any of the political. Um, they get very excited, the Brazilians down there. I, even like, As a I, watch, I watched them um, uh, play. I watched a badminton uh, competition involving a Brazilian man, young young guy, who got just creamed by this German guy. And um, this is badminton, which is not like a sport that Brazilians follow closely, I don't think. And they went berserk every time he managed to score a point, which was not very often. So they were enthusiastic people. That's 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 awesome. It's uh, it's it's interesting. A prayer protest, craziest thing. Now, um, I want to touch, of course, on your book, Best Date Ever. Uh, it's pretty great because you know most a lot of your books are very commentary based and essay based, and this one you went right back to your journalism roots and like, how did you decide? Like, I have to defend my entire state. Like, how did you decide how I'm going to do this? Well, I um, I've lived here 30 years now, so I definitely feel like this is home. Miami's home, but also Florida's home, and. Nobody has made more fun of Florida or in general Miami in particular than I have. I mean, but at some point, um, it, it sort of begin to bother, begins to bother me that everything that happens in Florida becomes this giant uh, national point of mockery. Much of it's deserved, I have to say. But it's as, uh, but what I what I wanted to talk about in this book is, hey, yes, we're we're weird and yes, we're stupid. Um, weirdness and stupidity being probably our two biggest natural resources, but <laughs> there's also a certain amount of charm to this state. You know, we have, we have, have kind of a charming weirdness um, that is that our that's our heritage. And so I decided to write a defense of the state, pointing out, among other things, that many of the weird, stupid people here started out in other states. I mean, if you're from Indiana and you're mocking Florida, I'm willing to bet some of the people getting naked and urinating in, on, on each other in Walmart, which seems to happen pretty much daily here. Some of those people are from <laughs> Indiana, I'm willing to bet. They're, that People, even though everybody mocks us, a lot of people want to live here. It's now the third most populous state. And some of the states that mock us the most, like New York, you know, sophisticated New York, 
are the states where, that are giving up more of their population to us than to any other place. So, exactly. so then I decided to, to just sort of like, uh, so I wrote a kind of a defense based on the fact that, that, uh, that Florida is, for, for whatever reason, still a very, very popular place to go to. And, and then I, I went to a bunch of places in Florida and I, I kind of focused less on the, um, obvious places that everybody goes, like, uh, Disney World and Universal Studios and, and drift around to some of the places that, that kind of have the roots that are the roots of Florida's tourism business, but that, that people don't maybe go to as often, but are still sort of the, the soul of the state, if there is one. So that's when I, I did my reporting. Yeah, and one one of my favorite parts of the book, you know, I won't give away the whole thing, uh, but you did go to the, so like, the don't, don't, don't don't give away the ending because that's really amazing. You didn't expect that, did you? Nobody expects it. I mean, I really didn't think you'd die. <laughs> uh, you know, in the in the beginning of the book, you go to something I knew about because I lived down here. Uh, you went and visited the Skunk Ape headquarters in the Everglades. Skunk Ape Research Head Research Headquarters. Yes, I did. Yes. yes. Yes, headed by Mr. Dave Sheely, who I, I we've had on campus before. I mean, this is a guy who's dedicated his whole life to finding this this mystical being, the skunk ape. Were you scared that like that day would be the day? <laughs> well, I, in my view, he, Dave Sheely, who I really like uh, and is a really smart guy, has devoted his life more to selling skunk ape T-shirts <laughs> than actually finding. The- you got to fund the research, yeah. <laughs> but um, I mean, I would have been really thrilled if the uh, skunk ape had appeared the day I was out there and spending the day with Dave. On the other hand, I would have also been convinced that I must have taken some kind of psychedelic drug if I saw the skunk ape. Because <laughs> I personally don't think there is a skunk ape. No, but a part of you were like, "Oh, I'd make my book a lot better." That would have, oh, yeah. Well, then it would have been a whole different book. It would have been a whole different book, and it would have been called "The Skunk Ape Is Real, Dude," or something like that. What was the most convincing evidence you saw that you're like, oh, maybe? Uh. <laughs> well, I would say nothing. <laughs> well, there are a lot of T-shirts, as a, and they are for sale, so that you know. That's good. Whatever you read is usually right. Yeah. If, if T-shirts um, counted as as uh, evidence, uh, then by God, there is a skunk ape. Yeah, I read I read it somewhere. I don't know where I read it, but I read there's a skunk ape. Yeah. Well, if I had to be caught with a skunk ape, Dave Sheely would be the guy that I'd want to be with. He. He's a real Florida man. Well, I'll tell you what I want to be with him is like when the day comes that society falls apart and nothing works anymore. That's when I want to be with Dave Shilley because he will find food and shelter no matter what because he's a swamp guy and there are like yeah. survivors out there. And that was kind oh, of my yeah. point to get not too serious, but that was kind of the point of that chap. That essay was that you know he's a survivor and the skunk ape thing is one of the is ways he's chosen. You know he's found to survive and it's been working for him. So. God bless them. That's a tradition yeah. in Florida. <laughs> exactly. I mean, there are animals that can't make it in the Everglades, and he's found a way. Exactly. Another uh, fair part of my book is that you found like the two most polar opposite things in Florida, which would be uh, something I know about as a college student down here, Live, which is like the biggest club over at the Fountain Blue, and then the fastest growing city, the Villages, which is the world's basically like the biggest retirement community. Yeah, two out kind of ends of the spectrum there. Eight. Exactly. Which one did you want? But to yes, they're, they're both still kind of devoted to the same thing: drinking a lot, having sex, having fun. You know, it's just yeah. What the? Except, I think that the, you know the the people in the villages are doing it in a much smarter way. <laughs> Even though they have like a growing STD problem, but. <laughs> 
But they don't have to get by bouncers to get into their, you know, to to, to be able exactly. And their their booze is way cheaper. Now, and their and their music is better. <laughs> I don't know. I, I'm going with the villages. Of course, I'm old. That's probably the reason. But I did mean I was, you know, amazed that I was able to get into live, and I was amazed at the scene there. Have you been in live? Surely you've been in live. Yes, I have. I had an internship last year where I was in the Fountain Blue for a whole week, and it, the line was insane. I've never seen anything like that line. No, you know, that's a lot of attractive women um, in that line, just being as attractive as they know how. It's something to Yeah. Do. I mean, it's impossible to not feel out of place, like the bouncer won't take you out of the line. I'm glad that you feel that way. Can you imagine how I felt? <laughs> You you know, I am not only older than anybody in the line and older than the bouncer, I am older, this is the literal truth, I am older than the Fountain Blue Hotel. Uh. <laughs> that, you know, anyway. Yeah, exactly. So, uh, who, who parties harder, the villages or live? Um, I would say the, the, the live people party harder, harder, you know, during that period that they party, which is, I mean, they start at midnight when everybody in the village is already asleep. But if you want to talk in terms of decades, of you know they, the the live people are done partying after four or five hours. The people in the villages are going years. Of the, they're know, playing party. golf for at least. They're playing golf decades. and then they're partying and, and you know as long as they can stay up, which is until maybe eight thirty or nine o'clock. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> but still every day they get up and party again. You know, whereas the live people are mostly the weekend. So, all right. Uh, last question. Then you got to go. You're a busy guy. Um, I just, you know, this is a podcast mainly for aspiring journalists. Stuff. What's your biggest piece of advice to people who want to get into journalism and maintain their own voice? Don't even think about getting into journalism. <laughs> Leave it to you. <laughs> like everybody I know has been fired from journalism. So maybe there's some openings now. I don't know. But yeah, it's hard. It's hard. There's still ways to do it. Like you're doing it. You're kind of, I would point to you as a success story because you're like a complete whore. We'll take any job, any internship, right? Am I right? Absolutely, whatever it takes. But that's actually good. That's not, I, I kind of I, you you like you you exemplify the way to to make it, which is to just take every opportunity and think about new media, which you're doing, and you know, and just be positive. Because the old way of like going and, and getting a job in print journalism, that's that's kind of out gone. I think gone for good. Well, thank you very much. I should have just had you ask me the question then. And I should have given everyone their advice <laughs> how to enter the industry. Uh, well, Dave, thank you so much. When can everyone get your book? It's a great book, and everyone should read it. No, we're not selling it. I've decided not. Just to do the tour. No, it's a book <laughs> tour everywhere. Everybody Beautiful. should just go buy this book. Absolutely. You, because everyone only hears bad stuff about Florida. Go read some good stuff about Florida. Yeah. Exactly. All right, Dave, thank you so much for joining me. My Talk pleasure, Dan. You take care. All right, so uh, that is it for the first installment of the broadcast podcast. Thank you so much to Mr. Bear. You know, why do I keep calling the Mr.? This is my podcast. I should be professional. So thank you, Dave, and thank you, Craig, for coming on. You can check out Craig on WSVN and Dave's new book, Best Date Ever, in stores now. Um, and now, you know, looking forward, I'm sure you're tired of hearing my voice for now, but just so you know, you know, if you have any more questions, something I didn't get to that I should ask the next professionals, the next batch Please tweet at me at DannyNew101, and don't forget to subscribe, and um, please stay tuned for more fun stuff. Thank you.